Jewish rabbis of the past often had a common story they would share about a man called Monobaz. He's a man that inherited great wealth, but he was also a good man and very generous. And in a time of famine, he used his resources and, and gave it away to help those that were in need. His brothers came to him and said, your fathers laid up treasure and added to the treasure that they had inherited from their fathers. And are you going to waste it all? And Monobaz answered his brothers. He said, my father's laid up treasure below. I've laid it up above. My father's laid up treasure of mammon. I have laid up treasure of souls. My father's laid up treasures for this world. I have laid up treasure for the world to come. And he does give us perspective. He really does. Uh, wealth is a great responsibility. And Paul speaks to this in our passage we're looking at in 1 Timothy 6. So turn your Bibles there and let's look at 1 Timothy 6 as Paul instructs us. And stand with me as we read God's word. Chapter 6, we're going to pick up at verse 17. Paul says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Uh, Father, we just thank you for your word, a word that touches all areas of our life. And Lord, help us to be people that are rich in good works. What a blessing that is for ourselves, for others that we help for eternity and help us to see the wealth of that, of a timeless uh, commitment, Lord, of eternal service for you. Give us that insight. Give us hearts that'll do that. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, if you notice, Paul says, charge them that are rich in this world. And we looked at the fact last Sunday that uh, he's speaking to us. We are rich. Uh, all of us, for the most part, have homes. We don't know of anyone that's homeless. We have clothes to wear, food to eat, vehicles to drive. So in comparison to most, a lot of our world, we are rich. And Paul is speaking to us. We looked at verse 17 about who we're to trust and who we're not to trust. And verse 17 tells us that we're not to trust in ourselves. Paul says, don't be high-minded. Don't be prideful, haughty. When we look at Jesus, one of his marks is that of humility. He reached out to all kinds of people. Didn't care who they were, what their class he ministered to all people. Later at the Last Supper, we find the creator of the world washing the feet of men. Uh, Paul tells us that because of his humility, he went to the cross, left heaven, came here to be one of us, 
and went to the cross. So we're to be people of humility. Don't trust in self. And then Paul tells us, do not trust in uncertain riches. Wealth can bring a false security that can be quickly gone. I like what Proverbs tells us. It says, for riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle towards heaven. Uh, and, and things can do that. I mean, a uh, stock market can change. Investments can go down. Natural disasters can come. Uh, things that we own break. Uh, so money can quickly be drained away and gone. They do take up wings and fly. Jesus in the parable of the sower talked about seed being sown among the thorns. You remember the seed equals the word of God. And then he explained it and he said, the thorns are the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and lusts of other things. These things can come in and choke the word. So don't trust in uncertain riches. And then we see in verse 17, Paul tells us to trust in the living God. God's not dead. He's living. And we're serving a living God. And, and Paul also tells us he's a giving God. He's not stingy. And when we give, we are relating to God's character. We're understanding his character in a deeper way. And he wants us to be those kind of people. I mean, he gave his best, the only begotten son, for us. And out of that, we, we enjoy the things God has blessed us with even more. Out of that responsibility. So that was from last night. Let's, let's move into verses 18 and 19. And in verse 18, we find some actions of trust that should be in our lives. Paul says that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Genuine trust is going to have some actions to it. Genuine faith is going to be visible in some way. I always like what James points out when he writes his letter. James says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. He says, you want to see the kind of faith I have? Look at what I do. Look at my works. That's the evidence. Well, here in Timothy, uh, this verse gives us some actions of evidence of faith, of our trust in a living God. One of those is do good. Word that only appears here in the New Testament. It, it means to do what is inherently, what is intrinsically, qualitatively good. In other words, it's not superficial stuff. It's genuine works that are noble, excellent, that have a deepness to them. And Paul says, go about doing good. That's to be a mark of us as God's people. In fact, he'll write Titus and he'll give a similar instruction. 
in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. Now, good works does not save us. We know that. But they are evidence of genuine salvation. In fact, God has purposed that when we get saved, that we would do good works. He's purposed that. Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles back to Ephesians. Ephesians 2. few books earlier well-known verses but Ephesians 2 verse 8 here Paul writes these believers for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast uh, so there it is you know, salvation is God's gift we can't earn it. We can't do enough works to get it. And Paul states that very clearly. But let's look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know, Jesus did not save us to sit around and do nothing. He saved us to do good works. And that's one of the purposes he has for us. In fact, Jesus says that is a witness of the Father. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So do good works. As we go back to Timothy, that they do good. And then Paul expands on it that they would be rich in good works. I like how Weiss translates that phrase. He says uh, that, that they're to be doing good, that they are to be wealthy in the sphere of good works. So we should have a wealth of good works. And that all goes back to God's character. You see, the Bible tells us God is good. In the creation account of Genesis 1, just 10 verses into the Bible, God, after he divides the water and the dry land appears, the Bible says, and God saw that it was good. And after each day after that, uh, there'll be a, a, a phrase, a summary, and God saw that it was good. In fact, at the end of chapter 1 of Genesis in verse 31, the Bible tells us God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It's all good. Why is that? Because it came from God himself. He is good. And what he made is good. Of course, sin came along. And man defied God and sin came in but even in a fallen world David declares in Psalm 33 the earth is full of the goodness of God it's still out there God is good and we've seen how God there's nothing stingy about him 
Nothing stingy about his goodness. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. And because of that, we're to be rich in good works. That means abounding. Be abundantly furnished. In other words, we're not to meter these things out with stinginess. We're not to think, you know, maybe I'll do a good work this month. You know, I got, got a whole week here. Maybe I need to find a, a, something good I can do. At least, at least one good thing this week. No, daily, we, we, we need to be like Boy Scouts. Do a good deed daily. That's to be our mark also as God's people. Be rich. Be wealthy in doing good. I mean, there's all kinds of things we can do. Prayer. Encouraging other people by phone call, note, text. Smile. Say hi. Be friendly. Have coffee with somebody. Visit somebody. Open a door. If you see trash laying around on the ground, pick it up because someone's going to have to come around and pick that up. Be in your Bible study class. Encourage your classmates and your teacher. Give an offering. Prepare a shoebox. Sing in the choir. Right? Okay, I know you guys like that. Serve in preschool. Children. Lots of different things every day that we can do good. They don't have to be big stuff. A lot of little things add up. Have a wealth of good works. I always like that phrase of John Wesley. Remember it? Do all the good you can. By all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. And Wesley lived by that. Be rich in good works. And Paul would also tell us one of those actions of trust doing good, being rich in good works, is, is be prepared to do good works. If we don't plan to do good works, if we don't have a heart to do good works, if we don't look for opportunity to do good works, we won't do them. So we have to be prepared. We need to get ready to get these to do these actions, and that's going to be having a right heart. Notice Paul says that they would be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Uh, Williams translates it, puts it, that they would be open-handed, generous-hearted. And I believe all that is going to flow from the heart. You know, God can do amazing things with a heart given to him. It makes a difference. Uh, that word willing comes from koinonia, which means fellowship and communion. Uh, it, it's a great rich word in Christianity. And it speaks of Christians who are willing to share their hearts and their fellowship and their resources with each other. 
That's koinonia. So to prepare, we need to have a big heart. That's the best preparation to do uh, good works. Now, children's stories have great theology. And, you know, I've read this to you before, but uh, uh, The Grinch That Stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss. Right up front in this account, he gets right to the issue. He says, every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. There he is. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Wow, that's, that's pretty good. If you have a small heart, you won't be prepared. Heart preparation is so essential. Solomon warns us. He says, guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Jesus in the gospel said, a man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So you and I need to really look at our heart and the best place to take our heart and give it to God. God, make my heart good. God, make my heart big. Give it to Him. Guard your heart. I mean, it's so essential. I mean, it's vital for us to understand God's Word that we have a good heart. Jesus said that kind of heart, the, the word takes root and, and produces a crop, brings fruit. Peter, I like what he says about witnessing. He says, first thing, but sanctify, sanctify the Lord thy God in your heart that you be ready always to give an answer. You got to get the heart right first. So in giving, uh, good hearts are, are rich in good works. Prepare your heart. So we see the actions of trust in verse 18. Then if, as we look at verse 19, we see the blessing of eternal treasure. Laying up for, in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Uh, Paul always had a view to eternity. And he encourages us to have the same. I mean, he told the Colossians, 
says, don't be looking at earthly things, but set your affections on things above, where Christ is seated. Wiersbe points out, riches can lure a person into a make-believe world of shallow pleasure. Boy, that's what we see today. Lots of that. But we need to see a coming eternity where life is really going to be lived. And by being rich in good works, we're storing up treasure, a foundation that is solid. In Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, just turn your Bibles back. I want us to see what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19. Jesus says, Lay up, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will your heart be also. And Jesus is reminding us of, of the temporary nature of the physical. Stuff is just temporary. It's not eternal. Everything physical can be destroyed. Everything physical wears out. I mean, we've got to put tires on those cars. They wear out. We have to get different clothes. We wear them out. Or stuff can get stolen. I mean, how many of us have had stuff stolen? Probably all of us here. It's part of life. But Jesus says, everything placed in heaven is eternal. And he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, you personally, you can do that. And what we place in heaven, it, it can't be destroyed. It will never wear out. And it can't be stolen. All the thieves have been converted. None there. And the key part is it affects the heart because Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So important, where do we put our treasure? That's where our heart's going to be. A lot of times a marriage may fall apart because the husband and the wife do not put treasure in their marriage. They just keep taking out and taking out. You want to build a marriage? You need to put treasure into each other. And that means time and words and resources. That puts your heart there. Same way with your church. Put your heart in your church. 
You do that by your time, being here, giving, serving. All that places treasure with God's people, and you find your heart there. Jesus says we need to have an eternal view, looking ahead, making the difference in the lives of people. John, Dr. John MacArthur says Christians should invest their money in the souls of men and women who will be there to greet them and thank them when they arrive in heaven. You know, everything, we, a lot of things, we, you know, we take offerings and we're touching lives we, we, we don't even know about. But someday in heaven we're going to see those people and hear thank you. You know, right now our International Mission Board, David Platt, uh, he's kind of doing a, a, a restructure uh, because of lack of funding. You know, he really got left with a mess. He says, uh, we don't have the money we need to keep the missionaries on the field that we have. They're downsizing by 800 missionaries. Huge. I think right now we have 4,800 missionaries. They're going to bring it down to about 4,000. So that's what he's redoing to bring the budget in line. He says they've done everything they can, sold off property to keep them out there. One time we had 5,600 out there. Those are the kind of people we need to invest in, support. I mean, our missions are vital. Huge difference. Investing in the future. Eternity. You know, like the story of a man called Joseph. Lived many years ago. Rich man. A man who was good. A man who served on a ruling council of his nation. Word came of a young preacher out of Nazareth that was causing trouble. And that council made a decision this guy needed to be put down. But Joseph cast that. Wouldn't be a part of it. Well, Joseph, being a rich man, he wanted to be prepared. He's thinking about his death. So he bought a sepulcher on a hill that looked like a skull nearby and had his tomb prepared. And he thought lovingly of that tomb being so close to the holy city that he could be buried there and wait for the resurrection. Well, the years went by but Joseph also had a spiritual interest. He waited for the kingdom of God. He talked with Nicodemus, his friend, about Jesus. Well, events swiftly changed. Of course, Jesus was arrested, crucified on a cross. And Joseph looked at his tomb 
He knew the need was urgent, that Jesus needed a place of burial. So he took that sepulcher that he thought about, that he prepared, and he laid it on the altar and said, I'm going to give it for Jesus. But he went farther than that. With boldness, he laid aside his position, his reputation, and he went to Pilate, and he craved the body of Jesus and requested it. And Pilate, after he affirmed that Jesus was dead, gave Joseph of Arimathea. And him and Nicodemus went and took the body of Christ off the cross. Quickly prepared it with spices that they purchased and laid it in Joseph's tomb. They were men that laid aside the temporary, saw the eternal, and invested in their Lord. Of course, we know what happened. Jesus was resurrected. He walked out of that tomb. And every day, Joseph would take a look at that tomb, and he would not think of death, but he'd think of life. And the life to come. And him and Nicodemus were men rich in good works that we still talk about today. Let's be a people rich in good works. Every day in some way making a difference, showing who our Savior is, that they'd see our Father in heaven. Bob, I'm going to bring you back up. We'll bring our team back up, Lauren, Linda. I surrender all. Jesus gave up everything for us his riches, his glory, to be here with us. The best thing we do is, Lord, I want to give you everything I have to you. I surrender all. Maybe today you need to come.